My kids right now are into, the, are into favorites. Favorites. Like they are always asking me about favorite. What's your favorite? Dad, what's your favorite, what's your favorite color, Dad? What's your, what's your favorite food? They want to know. What's my favorite? What's your favorite animal, Dad? What's your favorite, what's your favorite superhero? The other day, my son Lincoln, he's eight. He said, hey, Dad, what is your favorite kind of dragon? And I'm like, I actually didn't know there were different kinds of dragons. I just thought there were dragons and then everything else. But he's like, no, what, what's your favorite kind of dragon? And I didn't want to, I didn't want to let on that I, that I didn't know there were different types of dragons. So I said, oh, my, my favorite kind of dragon is Puff, the magic <laughs> dragon. And I like kept a totally serious face. And he's like, oh, okay. Like he totally thought that was a legitimate answer. And unfortunately, he attended service in the front this morning. So the guy's is ruined because I thought I had him fooled, but now he knows. Anyway, um, he, he's, he's getting at a bigger question. And kids, when they, when they ask these questions, one of the things they're trying to get at is, what, what do you love the most? What's the most important thing to you? What is the, what is the thing that, that has your heart, right? And for you and me, Listen, whatever your favorite food is, whatever your favorite color is, whatever your favorite superhero, whatever type of dragon is your favorite, is not going to profoundly impact your life one way or the other, right? But there is a question that will radically impact your life and will radically transform your life depending on the answer. And that question is not what do you love the most? The question is who do you love the most? Who do you love the most? Because the answer to that question will dictate the direction of your life. It will dictate the trajectory of your life. It will determine who you seek to please the most. It will determine what you do, where you go, where you spend your money, where you spend your time, what you do with your skills and your talent. If you can answer the question, who do you love the most, then you will find out what your life is about, where it's going, what you're going after, what you're pursuing, right? So think about it for a minute, just in your own mind. Who do you love the most? Is it a spouse or is it a, a family member? Is it a child? Is it a friend? Is it, um, you know, uh, a, a, a long lost cousin? Maybe it's a brother or a sister, but, but all of us in our mind, we have somebody that we can probably pinpoint and say, who do I love the most? It's a very important question. We're in a, a series right now. We call it Jesus Uncensored. And one of the things that we're doing in this series, we do these series every once in a while where we, we'll take a theme and we'll just kind of explore it for a few weeks. And this time we're doing a thing called Jesus Uncensored, a series called Jesus Uncensored, where we're looking at just the words of Jesus, just what he said. And we're kind of trying to focus on those phrases and those words and those uh, stories that sometimes get overlooked in church because Jesus says a lot of things that when you read it, you go, huh, that's kind of, did he just say that? Like, that seems crazy. Did he just say, like, if you really read it, it how many, you guys know what I'm talking about, the people who read their Bible, uh huh? Yeah, okay, all right, all right, good. Um, sometimes he says things, and in church, sometimes it's hard, because as a pastor, you're like, eh, do we really want to get into that right now? Or like, maybe we're not ready for that. We'll just do that in, like, Bible study, you know what I mean? Not in the, you know, but, but we're taking this opportunity to explore those kinds of passages, like the controversial ones, the difficult ones, the challenging ones. We're, we're diving into those because there's a richness in there. If you'll take the time to unpack it, there's a richness in there that will be transformative in your life. And so today we're going to look at 
one of Jesus' most controversial, if not the most controversial statements that he makes in the entire New Testament. One of the most controversial statements. And the interesting thing is he chooses to make this statement at the height of his popularity. Like he's, he, he makes the statement when he's got the biggest crowds. In fact, this, the, the scripture actually says uh, that large crowds were traveling with Jesus when he made the statement. They were, they were, it was like the Grateful Dead. They were just going with him everywhere he went. It was just, they didn't just come and leave. You have to imagine this. It's hard to imagine this because sometimes we have a flannel board version of Jesus in our mind. Je- when Jesus would go out and speak, tens of thousands of people would pack out the hillsides. Tens of thousands. Like they would come, entire villages would empty out. Entire cities would empty out. And they would come to the point where he would have to actually pull away from the shore and be on a boat so that he could project and, 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 and preach in a way that people could hear him. I mean, it was extraordinary. It was, it was unimaginable how powerful his impact was in his day. Just incredibly powerful. And so he's got all these crowds, all these multitudes following him. And then he, he decides he's going to say something. And there's so many things that he could have said when the crowds were following him that would have maybe even increased the size of the crowds if that's just totally what he was going for. I mean, there's a lot of things. He could have said, hey, you guys, you remember what I did with the, with the loaves and fishes? I'm going to do that now with some pork chops and hash browns. So everybody come out. And there would have been millions of people. He could have said free sandals for everybody who signs up for my ministry right now, right? A lot of things he could have said. But he says something that on the face of it is so unsettling and so strange and so confusing that that people have been wrestling with this for 2,000 years. Here's what he says. He says, if anybody comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And I think his disciples were about as silent as you are right now because they were like, excuse me, what? You can just see the crowd starting to thin out. Like, because this is a guy who had been like, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are, you know, hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then he turns to them and he goes, if you don't hate your mom, in fact, I almost titled this sermon, Hate Your Mom. But then I thought, that's nah, just, be weird online just to, he, he says, if you don't hate your father, your mother, your sisters, your brother, you cannot be my disciple. What? What is he saying? Right? Because in other passages, he, t- he commands us to love. Not only love, you know, love our mom and love our dad, honor our mother and father, love our friends. And then he even goes to like, love your neighbor. And then he goes to like, love your enemy. So why is he using this word hate? Why is he saying, I want you to hate those people who, by all accounts, you should love the most? I used to, uh, uh, I, I used to try to practice my, my Spanish. I speak a little bit of Spanish. And I was, at an, I was, I was in a circle of people one time that, that they were all native Spanish speakers. And I can speak a little bit of Spanish. I can speak the, about 50 words of Spanish. Like, I can get up to a certain point. And th- th- those 50 words, I can speak really well. Like, great accent, everything, really nice. The problem with that is that it sort of fools the people that I'm talking to into believing that I speak more Spanish than I actually do because I have a very limited vocabulary in Spanish. Plus, a lot of people think I look Puerto Rican, so then they just assume and they make assumptions about my Spanish-speaking skills. So I was in this group of Spanish speakers, and they were all talking in Spanish, and for the first few minutes, 
I was rolling. I was in it, speaking Spanish, doing my thing, doing all right. But then it got to a point where I'm like, now the now I'm not I'm not picking up on everything. It got more sophisticated. It, they were talking a little more quickly. I wasn't able to follow. And I thought if I don't interject and tell them that I don't actually speak great Spanish, then I'm going to end up putting my foot in it. I'm going to end up saying something that's like totally weird. So I need to just tell them right now. I need to tap out and say, guys, I don't speak this much Spanish, right? So what I wanted to say is, I'm sorry. Uh, my Spanish isn't really that good. Um, I'm a little embarrassed. That's what I wanted to say. And I was trying to think of the Spanish word for embarrassed. And then I, I thought of it. I thought of what I thought was the Spanish word for embarrassed. Because there's a word in Spanish that it's spelled like embarrassed. It, some of you already know where this is going. It looks like embarrassed. It sounds like embarrassed. The word is embarazada. The problem is embarazada does not mean embarrassed. It means pregnant, is what it means. And this is a true story. So I'm, at, I'm with this group of Spanish speakers, and I go, lo siento. Uh, mi español no es muy bueno. Estoy un poquito embarazada. <laughs> Which being translated means, I'm sorry, my Spanish isn't really that great, and I'm a little bit pregnant. So... You want to talk about some blank stares. I, I couldn't understand everything that was said after that. I thought I picked up the word loco a couple times in there. When Jesus says, I want you to hate your father and your mother, your brothers, your sisters, he's doing something with language that is really, really powerful. Because the word that he uses does mean hate, but it doesn't translate exactly into English the way that we would normally understand it. He uses this word, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Greek out and geek out with you for just a moment. He uses this word called myseo, myseo. And myseo is a word that means hate, but it's a comparative word. It's a comparative word. It means properly to detest something on a comparative basis. To love someone or something less than someone or something else. It centers in moral choice, elevating one value over another. So you see, Jesus is doing something really, really powerful here. And if you miss it, you miss it. But he wants you to get it. He's actually using the word to get our attention because he's not telling us, hey, hate your family. Because for some of you, you know, you don't get along with your family anyway. So if he, if he was saying that, you'd be like, awesome. You'd be like, so I don't have to go to Thanksgiving dinner this year. All right, great. Jesus said it. I don't like him anyway, right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I, I want you to love God so much. I want you to love God so unequivocally, so unconditionally, so all in, so with all of your heart, soul, mind, and body, and strength, that every other affection in your life, every other love in your life, every other desire in your life, looks like hate by comparison. It pales in comparison to your all-in love for God. I want you to love God so much with every fiber of your being that when you compare your love for God with any other love that you have, the other love looks like hate compared to the love that you have for Him. And the irony is 
that when you love God with everything, it actually elevates your love for everybody else. Your love for everybody, because when you love God with everything, you start loving his children like you've never loved before, which includes your family member and includes your neighbor and includes your enemy. He said, I want you to love. So when he's saying, I want you to hate, he's saying, I want you to love. He's doing, he's, he's messing with our minds in this passage. He's saying, I want you to love God so much that your love for everybody else seems small by comparison. So today I want to just spend a few moments on this idea that I'm going to call one love. I want to just talk about this idea for just a few moments. I want to talk about one love, one love. I know some of you have Bob Marley playing in your head right now, but, but, but God is saying, look, I want to, I want to convey a truth. I want to convey a principle. I want to convey a reality to you about the power of love. And the power of love is such that when you love God with everything, with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, it orients your life. It puts you on a trajectory. It puts you on a path that you otherwise not be, would not be able to go on. And, and here's one of the things that he's talking about with these, these followers of his. See, a lot of people were following, thousands of people were following him, and they were getting the benefits and the blessings and the giftings of being a follower of Jesus, right? Some of them were getting healed. Some of them were getting fed. Some of them were getting to experience these, you know, really entertaining exchanges between him and the Pharisees. And, you know, so they were, and, and nuggets of truth that you could apply. So they were getting all this stuff from him, but he knew that they wouldn't always get that all the time. There was going to be hardship in their life. There were going to be difficulties in their life. There were going to be trials, there were going to be challenges. And what he's trying to say when he's saying, I want all your love, I want all your love, is this. And I want, to, I want to say it really clearly. He's saying this. When you love the giver more than the gift, your commitments don't change when your circumstances do. When you love the giver more than the gift, your commitments don't change when your circumstances do. If you love the gift, you're going to be running after the gift. You're going to be running after the loaves and fishes, and then when he doesn't give you loaves and fishes, now you're not following him. You're going to be running after the healing, but then when he doesn't give you the healing, you're not going to be following him. You're going to be floundering. You're going to be trying to figure out your way, and you're going to be lost. He's saying, I want to give you a stabilizing principle, a stabilizing reality for your life, and that is love God with everything you've got. That will stabilize your life. That will put you on a path. That will send you on a trajectory that, will not, that, you, cannot be, that you cannot fall off of. That will direct you and it will lead you and it will guide you. Do you love the gift or do you love the giver? That's what he's saying. That's why he said it to all. He turned around. He said it to all the, the crowd. Do you love the gift or do you love the giver? In, in the early 2000s, many, many years ago, decades ago, um, there was this phenomenon that burst onto the scene. It's called reality television. I know. Um, it's, you know. It's everywhere now. But in the early 2000s, like, it was a new thing. Reality TV was a new thing. And there was a really lousy reality, reality TV show called Joe Millionaire. Does anybody remember that show, Joe Millionaire? God bless you for admitting that in church. Amen, amen. Um, <laughs> um, Joe Millionaire. Uh, it, was, it wasn't a great show. And I think it only lasted one season, maybe two, and then petered out. But the premise was kind of interesting. What they did is they had this young man who had inherited millions of dollars uh, from his family. And he had houses and estates and palatial mansions. And, and he just, he had it all. Pools and cars and everything. Good looking guy. You know, rode horses. Just, I don't know. Just a great, you know, whatever. And uh, amazing guy. And, and so they brought all of these women together. These single women. And they basically told him, hey, this guy 
he's looking for a wife. And so we're going to give you an opportunity to come and meet him, and then he's going to meet all of you, and then he's going to choose his wife, and then you'll get to be married to Joe Millionaire. And so all, all, all of these women were like, oh, this sounds great. And so they brought all these single young women into, and then he started dating all of them and, you know, trying to whittle it down. And, and they were, you know, filming all this reality TV. And so they whittle it down. And finally, he's, you know, he's taking them on exotic locations and dates and wanting and dining and all this kind of stuff. Finally, he whittles it down to one. And they come together and they're madly in love and they're getting ready to get married. And here's a beautiful picture of the two of them so happy together. And just, I mean, doesn't that look like such a beautiful moment? It's just, they're just so excited. But then here's the hook. Here's the unfortunate hook. And this is why this show is so bad. It turns out that Joe Millionaire wasn't a millionaire. He was just a regular guy. He was a construction worker from Virginia. Nice guy. You know, totally good guy. But all of the estates and the houses and the cars and the money, that belonged to like Warner Brothers, okay? That was not Joe's, all right? Joe's like, man, I got to get back in my, you know, 86 Subaru and get trucking, you know? Um, so, so the question then became, does she love Joe or does she love what she thought Joe was going to provide for her? Guess how that relationship turned out? <laughs> It ended abruptly. Let's just leave it at that. (laughs) Jesus is saying, look, I want you to love the giver. I want you to love me because I don't want you chasing after the gifts all the time. Sometimes I'm going to put you through circumstances or allow you to experience circumstances that are going to be hard. And they're going to be difficult, and I'm going to take you through them. And, and, and you're not always going to be favored by everybody. You're not always going to be loved by everybody. Not everybody's going to agree with you all the time. You're going to go through ups. You're going to go through downs. You're going to go through good times. You're going to go through bad. But if you love the giver, not the gift, then your commitments won't change just because your circumstances do. I want, you, I, want, I, want to, I want to create a stabilizing force in your life. I want to create an environment in your life that allows you to flourish, that allows you to be effective. In fact, here's another way of putting it. He says, when you, when you focus your affection, you expand your effectiveness. When you focus your affection, you expand your effectiveness. Have you ever noticed, like, have you ever, have you ever had to try to please at least two different people that had adverse desires? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's, you're trying to please more than one person, and they don't want the same thing. And you know how exhausting that is? You end up, like, pleasing neither of them, and losing your credibility in the meantime. It's the worst possible experience. If you have multiple stakeholders and they all have different ideas about what you're supposed to do and you're trying to come over here and placate this one and placate that one. I mean, it's brutal. Has has anybody ever been in a situation? You know, it's like so exhausting. And Jesus is saying, look, you don't have to please the many. You just have to please the one. I want to liberate you from the exhaustion of running around and trying to please everybody and trying to make sure everything's okay because all I want you to do is just please me. Just please me and then you can actually take the the pleasing of me and apply it to every other area of your life. You can please me in your home. You can please me in your school. You can please me on your job. You can please me at your church. Just please me. You're free from the bondage of pleasing everybody else. How many of you guys struggle with being a people pleaser? Anybody? Yeah, good. It would, it would, it would please me so much if you would admit it right now. So um, if you don't know you're a people pleaser, um, if you don't know, so I mean, I think everybody struggles with it a little bit. I struggle with it a little bit. I think most pastors struggle with it a little bit. Most, a lot of people struggle with it. 
except really mean people, and they don't care. Um, <laughs> here's 10 signs for you to know whether or not you're a people pleaser. Number one, you pretend to agree with everyone. Do you know anybody like that? They're like, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. But they hate the idea, but they don't want to say it. You feel responsible for other people's feelings, right? You're trying to, please don't elbow your neighbor right now if you're, or just very gently. You overanalyze almost everything. You start going, well, but if I do that, then what will they think? And if I feel, right? Nobody's acting like they know about any of this stuff. You have a hard time saying no. In fact, actually, you don't say no. You say yes, but then you just don't do it, <laughs> right? And then you go, oh, something happened. Um, you feel uncomfortable if someone is angry with you. No, no, nobody's, is, are, you, are these resonating with you guys? They are with me. <clears throat> um, you feel the need to be nice all the time. Like all the time. I'm a nice guy. I like to be nice. I don't like to be nice all the time. Jeez, I like to be mean sometimes. You need, you need praise to feel good. Criticism crushes you. You avoid confronting people even when they're wrong. You just don't want to do it. You avoid that. You avoid telling people how you really feel. Jesus is saying, I'm gonna, I tell you what, I'm going to liberate you from that. I'm going to free you from all that. You don't have to please everybody. You've got to please me. Just one. One love. Follow me. Please me. Love me. I will stabilize your life. I will put you on a trajectory. You will be so much more effective when you focus your affection upon me instead of scattering it all over the place. Follow me. Pursue me. And then in the irony that I touched on at the very beginning, the reality is this. Here's, what, here's the result when you love God. When you love God completely, you begin to love others unconditionally. When you love him completely, it's not that your love for others dissipates. It actually grows. And you, become, you start to love them not because of who they are, but because of whose they are. You start to love somebody not because they're awesome, but because God is awesome and that God's their dad and God made them, so you better love them. That's what happens. When you really begin to love God, it opens up your understanding of who is your family. Are you with me? At the, it, it, uh, in Jesus' ministry, he was at a, at a house one time and he was teaching and preaching. His disciples were there and a bunch of people were all gathered together and just... A whole bunch of people. It was a big crowd. And some of his disciples came and they said, hey, Jesus, um, your mom is outside and your brothers and sisters and they're trying to get to you and they're trying to get in. And he said, he did something so interesting. He said, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And who are my sisters? And then he looked around at the people in the house and he said, these are my brothers and my mother and my sisters, those who do the will of my father. Now, what do you... He wasn't denigrating the role of his human family. He was expanding the definition of what family means. He was saying, I want to break down some things for you. Because it turns out that when you love God completely, you start to love others unconditionally. Your, your understanding of who is family and who is not family begins to shift. You start to see your stranger as your brother. You start to see your enemy as your brother. You start to see your sister, your, your, another stranger as your sister. You start to see people in a way that you've never seen them before because you have, you have complete love for their father. And when you have complete love for their father, you have unconditional love for them. What Jesus is trying to get at, and I'm going to close with this, Jackson. What, what, what Jesus is trying to get at is this. He wants to create a reality 
and invite you into it that is so transformative. And it's not transformative because you're nice. And it's not transformative because you're looking after people that you like. It's transformative because you love him so much that your love for others becomes unconditional. You start to love them because they're, they're his children. And if you're going to love him, you got to love his kids. If you want to love me, you better love my kids. If you want to love God, you got to love his kids. I want you to just, you know, imagine a world where this becomes the reality. Where you love people as your brother and sister because they're children of God. Not because you agree with them, not because you like them, not because they're nice, not because they're good, not because they agree with you, not because they're holy, not because they're righteous, but because they're his. When you love God completely, you love others unconditionally. The reason we're called U-City Family Church is not because we're designed for, you know, traditional families, so to speak. We're called U-City Family Church because we believe that we are family. We believe that when people come in and they're, the, and they're the children of God, they become our brothers and sisters. They become our family. That's why we do life groups, because we're with each other. We care for each other. We're connected to each other. We grow together. We're a family. Jesus is saying, I don't want you to hate. I want you to love God so much that that love just spills over. And you not only love your mom and your dad and your brothers and your sisters and your friends, but you love everybody because God loves them. And they belong to you and you belong to them. And the only way that we, as a church community, enact this reality, bring this reality to the fore, make this reality in heaven a reality on earth, is when we set aside our distractions, we set aside our fears, We set aside our prejudices, our preconceived notions, our bigotry. We set it all aside and we focus on one and only one love. Let me pray for you. God, we come before you. It's just soaking in your word right now, soaking in the power of your presence and your spirit. I pray, Lord, for every single person in this space in this house. I pray that they would experience your love in a transformative way. It would shake them to the core. It would rattle their their heart to the core. Those of us who are calloused and jaded and bitter, our hearts would be broken before you and we would experience the mercy and the grace of your love that opens up the possibility that we love others. I pray for those who are here that aren't even sure whether or not they believe you or they want to follow you or they don't know what to think of you. I just pray, God, for them that they would experience love in this place, that they would experience the love of brothers and sisters who are around them and desire their good and want their good. God, I pray for those of us who have been Christians for a while, that you would renew our understanding of what it means to follow you, that we wouldn't follow you for the gifts. We would follow you because of who you are, because you're the giver of life. I pray, Lord God, that we would pursue you with everything we've got, we would love you. We would love you so much. And we would love each other so much that those who see us would see our good works among us and they would glorify you in heaven. Father, we just pray that everything that happens in this house today, through your word, through the singing, through the life groups, through all of the different events that we've got to experience today, I just pray that they would all bring praise, honor, and glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen.